Every morning, I read a poem, usually by Mary Oliver. She has an unmistaken tether to the natural world in her writing, and it's a great way to start my day. A popular quote shared around has her saying this, The most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to creative work, who felt their own creative power restive and uprising, and gave to it neither power nor time. As I've learned over the last several weeks, poets can harness the human language in ways that can speak directly to your soul. Digging and bubbling up perceptions on the world that you may have forgotten about, or maybe will see and hear for the first time. Artists, I think, have the official say on how we're doing as a people. It's sort of like a barometer for the state of things in our society, how we're handling our progress as a species. It's an interesting little project to discover. Look back at most any form of art, music, dance, theater, sculpture, painting, even film, and the muse of the collective human spirit will talk to you in its abstract way of doing things. Ways in which only those of us willing to listen will hear. Sometimes by way of the universe, you will bring people into your life that speak this artistic language, where almost every interaction is tinged with an artistic bend to it. A sort of mini-celebration of some new way you saw the world that day. One of those people is my friend, Megan Dillon. When I first moved to Los Angeles around eight years ago, one of my first jobs in the TV and film world was as a production assistant. Pretty much the lowest rung on the adventure slide, but I loved it. It was my entry ticket into this new world, one I've wanted to be in for a long time, since I was that little kid making home movies of his own. Megan, on paper, was my boss, in charge of production for this television show I would end up working on for months. As I've talked about before, when you work with the same people for up to 16 hours a day, you come to feel like a little family. For Megan and I, though, a little deeper spark occurred. We could both sense that the other saw the world in much the same ways, through the strange, the wonderful, through beauty of different kinds, and even just little stuff. We laughed at many of the same things, came across with a little bit of an edge, and perhaps the best part of our friendship was that we often challenged each other, and not just in a motivational sense, but often in loud, intense, and scene-making arguments. I think what we found out is that we were our authentic selves, willing to express whatever feeling, whatever thought, and the most important true versions of ourselves to one another. Sometimes those truths include what doesn't go well. Times when we felt lost when we have felt defeated, or just wine-fueled nights looking at the city, wondering what shimmering dream world we could think up next. Maybe one day we'll find what we're after. We'll find what we've lost. But until then, we can try living in this world, in this body, expressing our best selves, especially those who seek out the magic of losing it all, one art form at a time. And just a little disclaimer here, 
We bring up the topic of depression about midway through this episode, but of course, in a true-to-life way. Here's Justin conversation with my sister from another life, Megan Dillon. Hello, hello. So, um, first of all, you look great. Thank you, you thank you. The, you match my brand background really well. I love it. So, uh, <laughs> what's been going on? How's how has um? I mean, we've we've been in some sort of form of isolation for almost a year. I know it's crazy. How have general? We're going to get into that, but generally, how how has it been for you? What are the ups and downs? Um. You know, I think you're right. I think there's ups and downs. Uh, If you want to look at all the great things that have happened during COVID and quarantine, there has been some. I'm not going to say like this has been just the worst. It's been I'm in television production. I have two kids. I'm extremely busy. So it's definitely been a time for me to slow down, a time Mm -hmm. for me to spend time with the kids, to spend time in my home, um, to do projects that I honestly would never have otherwise had a chance to do. And all of those things I'm grateful for. I think also just as a nation, it's given us time to really look at some, a lot of things, some very difficult things and have self-reflection and see where changes need to be made and where we ourselves need to make changes. And those are the good things. There there has been those, but at the same time, I, there's been difficult parts of quarantine and the good news is you're not alone in it, right? Mm -hmm. It is sometimes challenging. You know, I definitely, there's, there's been months of, this has been great. And then there's been walls. I've definitely hit my wall. Like I can't do this again today. Um, because I think we miss people. We miss social interaction. We're designed to interact with people. You just, you miss things. And I I think, you know, we've all hit that within the year of holidays, birthdays, special events. Um, And those are challenging and those are hard. And I think so is the, in a sense, the everyday mundaneness of quarantine. Yeah, I've I've heard both of those from different people. For myself, I've pretty much been isolated by myself, just kind of locked up in my apartment. And you're right, there is, there has been some good that's come up. I mean, this podcast was one of the things that came out of it. But um, there's definitely been some really low lows too, because there's a big adjustment from from being around crowds of people. That was my kind of just biggest thing, even though I'm not extremely social, like having a social calendar, but just being in the presence of other people was kind of ripped away from me. Then I went to the social media conference in San Diego. So even more crowds, like 4,000 people. Then coming back when it was starting to um, be uh, evident that we were going to have to like stay home, uh, everything stopped. And I had a friend that was staying with me, had to leave to go back to Australia. Then we found out the church had to close, which meant the choir that I sang in was going to stop suddenly. Uh, the office space that I work out of, Neue House, mm-hmm. um, had to shut down. So all these 
places that I find some like area of connection were like one by one, like the light went out. So <laughs> at first it was kind of just survival mode. Then week one, then two, then month one, month two. Um, yeah, I think there's a part of us that's all. But I think what you just said was interesting. And I think if you ask people during quarantine, a lot of people would say that. They, they've they had betrayals. They've had friendships that didn't thrive. They didn't. Now, do you think this was the result of quarantine? Or do you think this was the result that when you slow down and you kind of uncover people and you look at them, maybe some of the things that you are willing to gloss over or not look at or like actually surfaced and you actually saw. Yeah. I think there's truth in both of those things for sure. Because um, I, th- I forgot when it was, I made some sort of tweet or something about noticing um the hardest thing that I actually had to do was um, be with myself. And that's what's still happening is you're forced to find truths about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think everybody's doing that at the same time. So sometimes those interactions that now that the, the time that you have with them is pretty much all virtual. And I think there's, there's versions of being in person, which I had too, but uh, it boils it down to essential connection or not, whether there really is something there to to talk about or grow with. Or maybe those things that like socially people could cover up or yeah, yeah. in a social setting or they were fun, all of these things. When, quor- when the quietness of quarantine happened, you could no longer ignore, you know, it, mm-hmm. because this is... I've heard this from so many people during quarantine and I've found it really interesting. Like, you you know, experienced that yourself. Yeah. And you'd think virtually you'd have less of like a divide or like a, a break or cause you know, I don't know. It's, it's odd, but I have, but when I look back on it and some of the friends that, you know, I, I just did break with during quarantine. Um, some of those things I did see. I, I, I did see from way back. And I was I, I, actually I was willing to overlook and forgive or maybe I thought this only happened between them and other people. But then when I really looked at it, I was like, no, this is obvious. It's it, it's not just this is a characteristic of, of who they are. And it's, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I, I've experienced some betrayal. I saw some betrayal in other other people I know and love from other people. And it's, it's, it is hurtful. Yeah, it's, um, it took me a while to, to get out of my head too. Um, I think I'm just now starting to, um, which is, which is funny, but I'm just now starting to, to uh, imagine the other person's perspective too. Mm-hmm. But when you're left in this reality of your, your spaces are, are um, hyper-focused, you're forced to live in a much simpler world. And, but also it, was, it's, it brought this new idea of, oh, that's something over there. It won't come here. Or if it does, let's contain mm-hmm. it or something. You know, 
And the more and more time passed, we're forced to deal with this reality head on. There's no way out of it and there's no alternate reality. <laughs> and it also really shows how interconnected the world is now. Yeah, yeah. Because of air travel now, it's exponentially we're connected. I mean, that's the thing when I was traveling in Europe, um, which I haven't, I hadn't traveled out of the country in probably over 10 years at that point. But I realized how easy it is to hop on a plane and go somewhere. And like, I know. Why? It makes us think we're we're citizens of the world. Yeah. Versus we're more interconnected. We're less isolated or less like this is just, you know, I don't know. It really we are. We're so connected, all of us, through through someone. And that's the thing I think we all miss is travel because yeah, it's a big one. Does like your mind it broadens your mind your creativity you just learn so much about other people other cultures and i yeah. yeah i love well let's switch gears for a second um so let's hear about you a little bit um i think i know a little bit about your background but for those listening tell us a little bit about what you do now and kind of uh well tell us you told me told us that you're in production what tell us a little bit about that Yes, I'm in television production. I'm a line producer. I oh, also what's a line producer. Uh, the money, the budget. Okay. So, um, like the head of also production. Um, so, given us an example, like the show that you and I worked on together. Well, we've worked on a few things. Um, and right. the, the very first show we worked on together was this show on the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> Well, the line, a line producer is so important, even if you're just on the creative side. Yeah. Because when you have a script, you know, the line producer will put it together and say, hey, this is how much it costs to make. So you'll, you know, you, you're not going to start a project and not be able to finish it. They're going to give you the budget. And then the line producer also works with the creative side. Um, let's say, hey, you know, I really want to do this. The line producer will say, well, we could do this, but you might have to sacrifice this. Would you be willing to do this? So you know, creative, it, it's like a chef in the, you know, who's running a restaurant. If you just let them take over and buy all their special, like you might end up losing money or not making it or going under. And that's what a line producer really does. It, it, they allow you to finish your project, um, but they work with you creatively on how to make that happen. So it's kind of like uh, you're, managing the the uh, assets and the tools they have to create that product exactly and they don't also have to think about that right. because they know that you know you're taking care of the money yeah uh, it's also a lot of logistics mm -hmm. so we take care of you know how to shoot and things aren't always shot chronologically you know sometimes if you have two scenes in one room one at the beginning of the script one at the end you shoot those both consecutively um, now with COVID line producers, it's a whole different game because sometimes you have a day player who comes in and if by chance they test the second day positive, you have to say to yourself, hmm. we only have this location for another week. Do we recast? Do we reshoot what we shot yesterday? Do we try to yeah. get it back? You know, yeah. it's, it's, just, they take care of the, a lot of the puzzle. Um, what, what do you love about the job? What do you love about line producing? Um, you know, I think in production, you work with all different kinds of people. Like every department is so different. The art department, the grips, the electrics, uh, 
docs, the, the camera guys, you know, um, and they're all their own unique group, yet we're all work, you know, also a collaborative group. And I think you get to work with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. I think it definitely helps your leadership skills because you have to work with all kinds of different people, men, women. I, I, I'm very organized. I like being organized. I like, to, you know, mm-hmm. you'd have to numbers, figuring things out, um, making sure the day runs smooth. I also, we've talked about this. I think you and I in some way are a little bit, we're in front of the camera, but also behind the scenes people. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do enjoy like helping someone's creative vision come to life. Right. Like when they tell me like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. My goal is that, that when they walk on set, the only thing they're thinking about is the creative is, and that's yeah. it. They don't yeah. have to worry about all the other small logistical details. Cause I've taken care of that, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of um, satisfying actually, because then you get to, you get to see the artist do their work mm-hmm. um, without any inhibitions. Right. Um, that's what I like about production is um, knowing that you've put all the tools in place to make sure that the artist is just unleashed. So there, there's not them having to think about, okay, well it's kind of like a, a painter and then they're looking around Well, Where's my palette? Where's my brush? It's all there for them already. They just have to paint. Now, the, the bad part about that is they never think about you at all, right? Right. Unless something goes wrong. Yeah. That was you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes life happens. Sometimes yeah. the unexpected happens. Sometimes people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things go wrong. Um, but, but that's a know. skill, too, though. What do you do when things do go wrong? Right? It's kind of anticipating if this goes wrong, uh-huh. here's what I'll do. You know, when when there's a fire, you put it out. When yeah. there's a problem, you solve it. I, I actually do enjoy that part. Mm-hmm. There is the part of the way that certain people react when there is a problem. But at the same time, what I learned from someone who was above me a while ago is, well, Megan, what do you do when you watch a two-year-old throw a temper tantrum? Yeah, I, you let them finish their tantrum. Mm-hmm. You know, because in the end, like, if, if you engage in that, <laughs> what you know it, it they're they're not ready to engage yet um so you kind of just have to step back and let that unleash and take some deep breaths and you know when they're ready or when you can say hey here's some possible solutions what do you you know yeah what do you think led to you or what did lead to you liking this this um career choice i mean besides production i mean you did some other things before production. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of, of movies. And yes, I, I was into fashion. But again, production, there's there's wardrobe. I was just talking um, with my daughter about this the other day. I think wardrobe is one of the most overlooked parts, um, not only by the line producer, by a lot of people, but also by the director. Like wardrobe plays mm. such an important role in telling the yeah. story. Yeah. And... As much to me as art direction. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's good. Or, you know, but good wardrobe stylists, like they, kudos to them. 
And, you know, also it can help tell not just like the serious story, which is incredible when they do that, but also the fun story. And we were just recently talking about um, Emily in Paris on Netflix, and that's just a fun light show. Mm-hmm. But the wardrobe designer, she's the same designer from Sex and the City, utmost respect for her. Um, but she did take this girl from Chicago who you could kind of see like the Chicago city, you know, and at the end there, there was the story of arc of how she also grew into more of a Parisian toward the last episode. And you saw that, that change. And so I really think they can help tell the story. And I, I love when I see wardrobe telling a story. Yeah. Well, it's, it's no secret that you and I share the, uh, love of fashion as an art form. Um, and there's something that you always say, and you say that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's um, fashion is moving art or something like That's that. Right. Right? It is. Yeah. What do you mean it's by that? It's your daily self-expression. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, our bodies are our most precious vehicles and it's, it's how you choose to clothe that self and express that self and express like what you're feeling and, and think about it like funerals black, right. Or, um, flowers for, you know, uh, uh, your baby shower or, you know, it's just, it, it is a way of really expressing your heart, what you're feeling, what you're going through, who you are. And, it's also so interesting fashion during during times during COVID, you know, the way people want to dress. I even remember 9-11, how that, you know, people kind of changed the way they dressed. And I also I love that, you know, that's what designers can't project because they're they're projecting a year in advance. But they're mm. they weren't thinking COVID. Right. They were they were thinking ball gowns or heels or. And so it's really also the people the you know, people on the street, we, we have such an impact on designers and, and what we want to wear and how we're feeling and what we want to express. Yeah. Isn't that true for any art form? We're kind of like the, the storytellers of the time. Um, I think fashion is certainly one of those elements, but musicians, filmmakers, uh, visual artists, mm-hmm certainly journalists were all yeah, back on music. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, um, I feel very strongly that if you have an artistic ability, you have a responsibility to express it for the world, for those that aren't artists. And to some degree, everybody's an artist in some way. <laughs> but if that is your, if that's how you express yourself, if that's how you choose to express ideas and you have the ability to do so in a big way, um, I think you have a responsibility to do that because the artists are the ones that are responding to the time that we're in. Yeah, I right? think our great then when we get there is going to be what you didn't do with your gifts, not what you did. Yeah, uh, and partly that's why I'm <laughs> experimenting with this podcast. It was, um, I needed something, and this has been, I mean, over a year of in the making because I've just been kind of rocking my brain around. and I didn't want to do it just to do it. I wanted to kind of, spend a lot of time in meditation and think about why I'm doing this. Um, and, and I'll tell you the reason this came out was because we've talked about earlier about losing friendships and connections and things. Um, I have, I've always struggled with depression ever since I can remember. Um, and being in isolation 
in this degree when you're not even allowed to go interact with people like you normally would. Um, at first was, a, at first I dealt with it. Okay. Because I think, as I've told you, the older I've gotten, um, I tend to be more, get more energy from being alone. That's kind of where I've learned. I recharge, which is a surprise to me actually. But, um, like if I'm in a big, like, let's say that I'm, uh, when I went to this social media conference in San Diego, I'm literally with thousands of people, like three or 4,000 people. Um, but after a day of that, I need time to go be alone <laughs> for a little bit to kind of recharge my energy or I get depleted. And those are things that I'm, I'm learning. But in a situation where I'm at home and kind of not, not allowed to be in the communities that I'm in, uh, the propensity for depression came in and uh, I started to see those connections and those friendships like fall off one by one. And so then I started to kind of just, I guess what I did is I started to value connection more. I think isolation is hard. Yeah. Okay. And also I believe with, if you struggle with depression, if you isolation can be dangerous mm -hmm. because when you, it, I know you're not Christian anymore, but they say that the devil of the three ways that the devil, or you could say evil, or you could even use the word fear, whatever you want to use, will come to you. And one of the ways is isolation. Because when you're alone, right, your thoughts start to circle in your brain and you can actually start to believe some things that are not true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And some when you talk with people, and this is why they say you're only as sick as your darkest secret. Because when you start to talk with people and you, you'll find out most likely you're not alone, um, that there is a way out, that there are options, that you might be looking at the picture, it, they might kind of tilt the picture for you that look at it from this angle, you know? So isolation can be very dangerous. And I wanna, I wanna say that like to everyone and it can be difficult. And I don't want to, one thing is when you, Said you want to talk about this i didn't want to just be like you know i'm exercises i'm walking outside i'm reading i'm doing all that you know and that's great mm -hmm. there are things we can do and we should be doing them but at the same time we don't have to pretend that there's not a real challenge or it can't it, it's not difficult because it is and um with the isolation i'm part of some groups so i think that does help like a wednesday night women's zoom group at 7 p.m it's, it's a way to connect right it's a way to kind of like talk about our week i don't want to like minimalize it or just say oh yeah it's, it's all good like hey you know just read and this article mm -hmm. helped me mm -hmm. go out i bake and i yeah. go on walks and i have yeah. my dog yeah no all of those things do help you your cat animals yeah. Yeah. amazing yeah. you know um nature yeah. Uh, to look at the things you're grateful for. And I know that that may be redundant, but if you can just wake up and think of 10 things that you're grateful for and maybe not even grateful for, but also I try to think of things that I'm grateful for that ha happened that wouldn't have happened without quarantine. And you're right. And some things that I've discovered in myself, I've gotten into gardening a little bit which I've never done before. Um, I feel like I kill everything and I still have a couple times. <laughs> um, 
there's been, uh, I've got, you know, I've got a little garden going out, out back and I got some lavender and it's pretty much all of it's died at now, but um, we're going to continue to work on that. Oh, I planted lavender. It didn't even come. Didn't even. Oh, really? Happen. I've heard this. So maybe lavender is not the best idea. But I'm gonna get some other I stuff. Love lavender; it's so nice. And you know, lavender helps like if you have any mosquitoes or anything like that. Like it. Oh, it's, good. Yeah. In your room, it's a repellent. Yeah, it's so nice. I love lavender. I wish I wish mine would have grown. I had some other things grow, but my lavender never came through. Interesting. I wonder if it's an LA thing. They say lavender doesn't need a lot of water. Right. It's a. It's a. They do well in. Um, what do they call it? Uh, Dry. Yeah. No. No, I think it would do well in LA. I think lavender would do great. I just think, I don't know why my, you know, who knows why. Yeah. But some other plants have done really well and I've actually created this little garden outside. So now my favorite thing to do in the morning is I'll go downstairs to my little garden space and I'll read some poetry. So that's another thing that I've added. Um, And so I've, I've adopted some new habits in this time of isolation gardening and then poetry poetry is like this big world that i never really understood really so i kind of just said well i have all the time in the world why not so i just started ordering all these poetry books and i also to get out of the digital world i wanted physical books so i'm um, with you on poetry i have gotten into poetry over oh really you too it's just I don't know why, but this is the first time in my life, like reading poetry has had a real impact. Like when I read it, it, it's, it really hits exact. I'm like, wow, this is so beautifully just, I'm blown away by poetry. And I don't think I was ever really into poetry before. Same here. I think because we're caused to go inward and, and self reflect, um, and also reflect on the world that's out there, the physical visual world that we're looking out on and everything that's going on in this crazy world. It, it gives us, and here's another example of an artist having the importance of a reflection. So the poet is also an important part of that. It takes our language, which we've just talked about can be so terrible and dark, but it highlights the, um, the most beautiful parts of what our language can do. The darkness and the beauty. That's the poetry. Like I've wow. actually cried over reading a poem during COVID. Oh, and yeah. I've ever done that before. I read. So my, I read one in the morning in my little garden area with my coffee. Um, and it kind of helps me set the, the tone for the day. You know, it like, it helps me to awaken into this new world and through someone else's world or words, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then I'll read another one right before bed to kind of close my day that way too, to kind of go into sleep. So that's been my routine. I actually really look forward to it. Actually, I'm going to bring, I'm going to read one right now and see what you think. Oh yeah, I'll read it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. By the way, um, everyone that sees this, I have this amazing scarf on. And um, <laughs> the, the source of this scarf is Megan. And we'll talk Italy. about it. Yeah, it looks, I really love it. It looks, brings in everything together. And this shirt is another story too, but so the very first poetry book I, I uh, bought was this one and it's an anthology. So the Penguin Anthology of 20th Century American Poetry. 
And I just wanted something that I could delve into that would have a variety of things because I wasn't sure I didn't have a favorite poet or a favorite type of poem. I just wanted to be exposed to things that would allow me to kind of search through it and see what I liked. So I, I asked my writer friend, Rutledge Hamas, who is an award-winning novelist, and also somebody I used to teach with. He taught creative writing at the School of the Arts, or used to teach. So I said, hey, I want to get into poetry. Do you have any suggestions? And he was thrilled, of course. So he gave me like a couple of poets, and I kind of just searched and found an anthology that had both of those people in it. But I read this one at night, um, and there's some really dark ones in here but also some really thought-provoking ones. And what it does is um, I really love reading a poem, and then I ca- it causes me to think about that poem for the rest of the, the night or the rest of the day. Um, so let's, let me see if I can find one. one thing. I'm going to read you the, the poem I want to read to you. You oh, can good. edit it out, but it's, it's just, I love it. And I've never been into poetry. I know. Isn't it great? We're such great. oldies. Okay, here's a good one. I actually have never read this before, so first time. Poetry has to be read out loud, too, by the way, I think. Yes. So this is um, In Cold Storm Light by Leslie Marmon Silco, born in 1948. In cold storm light, I watch the sand rock canyon rim. The wind is wet with the smell of pinon. The wind is cold with the sound of juniper. And then out of the thick ice sky, running swiftly, pounding, swirling above the treetops, the snow elk come, moving, moving, white song, storm wind in the branches. And when the elk have passed behind them, a crystal train of snowflakes, strands of mist tangled in rocks and leaves. In Cold Storm Light by Leslie Marmon Silco. I know why you love poetry because it, it literally just takes you yeah. such a short time to that At place. Some other place. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that it's incredible. It allows me, it allowed me to escape this reality for a minute. Yeah, just right there. Like you don't have to read, get to the fifth page of the book. Just like right there. Yeah. It just takes you You're right. right. That's it. You're right. You don't have to wait for those great moments. It's all compacted in that one moment right there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's my, my poem isn't like that, but no, that's, that's fine. You know, what's interesting is, um, it, it, it the poem does a little bit have to do with what was supposed to be our topic of conversation and and kind of uh, what's going on in the world. Yeah. It's called it's one art. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, except the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster places and names and where you were meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch and look my last or next to at last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones and vaster, some realms I own, two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, 
the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied, it's evident, the art of losing, not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. Um, as you started reading it, it became familiar, and I realized I just, that was one of the first poems I read. It's Elizabeth Bishop, right? Mm-hmm. It's right it here. Is. It's right here. Oh, when I read that, I was like, yeah. it, and it speak to like our topic and COVID yes. and like at the beginning with the little things we were losing. And then I lost yeah. a concert, a river. As, uh, you, as you started reading it, I was like, wait a minute. That was like one of the first poems I read out of this book. And it was like perfect for quarantine. I, I, I literally cried during yeah, quarantine. I did too. I'm, that's so weird that we both read One Art, yeah, by Elizabeth Bishop. And another funny thing about that is Rutledge, my friend Rutledge, who told me to start reading. He said, read Elizabeth Bishop. So she really? was the first one that I, yeah. So that's really strange that you picked that one. I know, isn't that? Yeah. I was like, I, it brought me to tears. And I was like, what is it? Like, what? what is it in those sentences that she says that that like can hit us so deeply because it, you know, she's not saying like, I don't know what, what is she saying, but it, 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 it's just so moving. It's such a beautiful poem. It's also sometimes just the cadence and the rhythm of hearing, hearing that that's another element of poetry that I'm learning to love too, is um, it makes me feel human and alive because you're speaking those words. Isn't it so crazy language and the diversity and, mm -hmm. and how language changes and over time and right now with us and Twitter and text and, you know, cultures merging, how much language is changing? That was one A of lot. the first things that I noticed when we started to be on, uh, on isolation was that nature, and that was one thing that I noticed almost... Uh, very viscerally, viscerally all the time. Nature didn't seem phased by it at all. They just kept, the sun still came out. Yeah, right, the birds right. were still like they were they were thriving. Like this was their best life. Like there, I saw birds flying overhead. Oh, and, bag, the you know yeah. the and the canal and everything was more beautiful. I want to yeah. I want to like what you were saying though, and I want to challenge anyone with kids because I've done this with my own kids. Yeah. One of the hardest things is when you see your kid and you know exactly what's right. They're like, you know, whatever. You you know the right answer and you're right there. You just want to give it to them. You want to tell them you want to, to take a beat, to step back and to watch how soon that they come to you with that right answer. Because with kids, it's pretty quick and it's pretty surprising. Like if I don't sit and yell at them and tell them how wrong they were. They should never have said that, done that, blah, 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 blah. If I kind of just step away, it's amazing to me. Even Bear, and you know him. Mm -hmm. And say, you know, I'm sorry, mom, because I shouldn't have, like, without me saying a word. But that, that, that takes stepping away. Yeah, you've given them time to process what's happened and let them and go through it. You, and that's also a gift you can give other people to let them be on their own journey mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to love them and to support them and to guide them. But you got to be careful the, the times you choose to guide, because if every time you want to tell, you know, kids in school, wrong, no, this, that, they block it out. You've got to pick your battles if you want, if you want to engage, but 
when you just really do step back and you let people on their journey the way that they they come around it, it and it's so amazing and it's so beautiful and it's so much more fulfilling than when we do step in um we're going to close in a second but i i wanted to um i saw this article because you and i both like vogue <laughs> Um, there is an article that's, that stuck out to me um, from Vogue magazine, and it's called Revisiting the Dystopian Beauty of the 90s Animated Show Eon Flux. Do you remember that show? No. It was an animated series that came on late at night on, like, liquid television, MTV. Can you see this? i I don't know it because I was such a fan of MTV. Yeah, I see it. Okay, you got to go back and watch the show. I think it's somewhere you can watch it. Um, but I remember being a kid and it coming on, it would come on at 10 PM and also again at midnight because it wasn't really quite because it was animated, but it wasn't really for kids. You know, it's, um, I mean, she basically looks like a dominatrix, but this whole article talks about, um, there was this dystopian, it's a dystopian kind of sci-fi ish TV show. And the main story followed this woman eon and she was an assassin so uh she's very angular and it talks about um let's see yeah eon is visually arresting and severely angular equipped with viciously sharp cheekbones and an impossibly whittled waist she moves quickly with each sinewy muscle showing and is flexible with cat-like uh movements otherworldly parkour abilities so the whole thing is just visually stunning and the reason it's interesting is because um, it shows in an animated way uh, this fashionable dystopian um, character. Here's another one where it celebrates, the article talks about it celebrates the body that's wearing the clothing and not necessarily uh, the clothing itself because sometimes the clothing can cover up something or we're distracted by the clothing. So I wanted to get your your feedback on that, even though you don't know the show, but speaking about celebrating the, the person behind the art too. Um, I, I had a friend in the nineties, I had a friend and she modeled for Dolce and I don't, Dolce Gabbana, they have some very strong clothing, right? I don't know if you're familiar with their, their stuff, but I remember they told her, we love you because you wear the dress. The dress doesn't wear you. Mm. Yes. There you go. And, you know, if you're wearing a piece that wears you, then, then no, that, you know, you're, you wear the piece, you're, you're expressing yourself through the piece. The piece should not be expressing itself through you. And yeah, with, with her body and and what she chooses to wear, I think, you know, there are things like, taller girls can wear or smaller girls can wear and you should wear those that you know help accentuate you and i i'm a firm believer and you know this justin of loving your body and um wearing what you think is comfortable and what you think is beautiful and uh being proud of it and loving every single piece of it i don't think we should we should hate ourselves in any way yeah, you and I were kind of joking around um, at some point. We had a little post or two about it we called COVID Couture. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, and there was, 
it was a time where you specifically were expressing yourself, just taking things out of your closet and creating this new piece by expressing how you're appearing in this world, right? Even with a, the mask thing is a huge thing, right? Um, but I did that too. I had some fun. I just took some stuff out of my closet and I did a self photo shoot because it was like, here is my way of expressing my body in these clothes and how I'm appearing in this time. And I was talking to my mom one day about um, documenting, documenting the time that we're in is important. And as a documentary filmmaker myself, I think uh, my mom was like, well, how are you, you know, how are you, um, how are you going to keep track of this time that you're in? You need to do something to, to make sure you remember this later on. And I said, well, we already are actually. I mean, every Instagram post, every Facebook post, every tweet is something you can kind of go back on and kind of look and see what your life was like. And that's something that I kind of love about Instagram specifically is that I can go back and see what time was like. And, uh-huh. and you know, in those, in those times and kind of see what's changed and what's not changed. But I do think it's important to keep track of that. Um, I es- especially, um, I hear, I hear parents and moms kind of shy. Oh, don't, don't take a picture of me. Take a picture of yourself. And I, th- I want to encourage everybody, no matter what, to document yourself, no matter how you feel you look, because down the road, your children are going to wish they were able to see you in that time and you didn't allow them to. Right. You know, and I, I had that conversation with my mom and she's like, oh, that's a good point, actually. She's like, I'll take some more selfies then because... Complete self-love. Yeah, I you've got to... You also have to just document how you survived and how you lived during this time. Um, such an important one when everything went inward. I want to know how that happened. So... We're in a time where our children and our grandchildren will be able to go back and see every single moment of our lives. Right. And I do think 2020 is going to be a year that a lot of people go back and look at. Right. What's, um, what's one thing that you've learned during this past eight months that you would hope to share with people that you would want them to discover too? One thing that really hit my heart is the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. I thought I was probably more educated on it than I was. As you know, you know, I'm an, an adoptive block leader. I spend a lot of time in Watts. I'm very invested in that community. That community is part of my family. Um, and, you know, it was really hearing those stories. I think I was ignorant to a lot of things that people went through. Mm. You know, I yeah. a young man in college who's talked about when he bought, he bought a scrub to, cause he heard some girls say he's just a little too dark or his skin. And so we tried to lighten it. Yeah. You know, the, the black family, black man with a family, upper middle class, bought a shirt, had a thing on it. And he would, didn't want to take it back to the store. Cause it was like, they probably think I stole it. Like all of these things that I didn't realize or that I had taken for granted, that I was, I really didn't know. And I, I'll tell you, it, it did cause me to self-reflect and it even caused me to self-reflect about my own self. And I, even in college, like in college, I remember that I was friends with, you know, a lot of the black community, the black sororities, but I always went into their world in college. And I think about, did I ever bring them into mine? 
Like when I was sitting at lunch, did I ever like think to myself like, hey, come sit at the table, you know what I mean? Or did I ever think like maybe someone feel uncomfortable? Like I never, I was just, <laughs> mm-hmm. it did cause me and, and that's, it's painful. And I, I don't think that's an easy thing to look at or it's something I wanted to look at or it's something I wanted to think about. Um, but it did cause me to really look at that. And I think my heart really to break open for that and to be more aware. And it wasn't something I wanted to do, um, but it's something that's happened and I, it is something I'm grateful for. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, that was a major truth telling artifact that came out of this time at, when we're alone. Um, I mean, huge. I mean, enough was enough, you know, and, it, but it, you're right. It did cause me to look inward and self-examine. Am I doing what I can? Um, am I telling the truth to myself? And I think we all had levels of um, realization that we weren't, we weren't doing enough. Um, and I've had, I mean, I had a couple of friends from back home that I've had conversations with for the first time and really important conversations and it really um, brought to light that we have to be honest with ourselves and honest uh, in our um, shortfalls with each other and that we just need to talk to each other. So that's a great point. So it seems that uh, the theme of our talk today is about discovering truths during this time of, of being alone discovering truths about ourself, discovering truths about our look on the world and discovering truths about one another. Um, so I think the, uh, the theme of what we've been talking about is really finding what, what your truth is and finding the truth of how you live. So that's great. Thanks for being with me, Megan. I loved it. Yeah. And I appreciate your friendship and, um, all the time that we've had together since my journey to LA and there's lots of stories there. Of course. I appreciate you too. And everyone watching. Thanks Megan. Bye guys.